Welcome to episode 87 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. This is Blue Jays Happy Hour 3.0, sort of, I guess, Stoughton. Uh, Another relaunch. We have not been on the mic together since we had to look this up, in fact. Uh, October 22nd, we are back in our original format. We had a little fun doing the live show with Colin. It was different. Uh, It was fun at times. The quality of the calls varied, I think it's fair to say. I think that might be the... (laughs) Correct way to say it. Uh, and now we're shutting all of you out, making it totally non-interactive. And uh, yeah, you just have to listen to us ramble for a bit. Well, you don't have to. Presumably, this is a choice you've made. Yes, hopefully. And uh, and we thank you for it. Yeah, so it, it has been an interesting Blue Jays offseason that we've sort of sat out here. It seemed like for quite a while, the Blue Jays had this young emerging core, and it was just about tinkering around the edges of it. They did that very successfully at times with you know Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon. And this year, for the first time, they kind of seemed to make the decision that maybe it was time to shake things up in a more serious way. And that starts, uh, and this is not, yeah, this is not new news to you guys listening now, but that really started, I think, with the Teoscar Hernandez trade, a guy who had been central to the Atkins Shapiro era of Blue Jays baseball, that front office regime. He was kind of their first big win on the trade market. He left. We are going to go through all of these major transactions, not all every single one, but the big ones that we missed. We're going to give our thoughts a little bit of a rating on them. I think we got to start it there with Teoscar Hernandez for, for Eric Swanson and Adam Mako. Stoughton, what was your rating of this deal out of 10 and what were your thoughts of it? And maybe have those evolved over the course of the offseason? Wow. Out of 10, let me let me ramble about it for a second while I think on that. Um, but yeah, I think my thoughts have definitely evolved, though I expected them to. Obviously, it was like the first domino. Um, and, you know, obviously, there are a lot of fans uh, wondering about, you know, the culture change. That's been a whole topic of conversation uh, you know, Teoscar was heading into his walk year, maybe not a guy they wanted to keep long term. I mean, Matt Chapman as well, but but they obviously chose to to keep him, which is, you know, he fits better with, you know, what their obvious goals were, which we didn't see at the time of the deal, which was they clearly really wanted to improve the outfield defense. And, you know, I think base running uh, is another part of it. And and I think they found a way to sort of make the, all the pieces fit in a really good way. Uh, and the bullpen, I think, is, is you know, is... is that that's that's real important too. I've been I'm working on something, sort of looking through everybody in camp and, and like going through some numbers, and uh, yeah, getting that extra piece for the bullpen I think is pretty big. Anthony Bass uh, did not perform as well. The strikeouts kind of held when he came over from Miami, but uh, the walk rate and the home run rate, like uh, some of the other peripherals, went back to sort of what he looked like in uh, uh, in 2021, uh, where I believe he was below replacement. Though you know, WAR is not a great. Uh, uh, way to measure a reliever. That's you know I'm, I'm not saying I'm super concerned about Anthony Bass, but like you know Yimmy Garcia had a bad September. They're they're they they definitely needed to strengthen in that area, which I think they have. Which you know Swanson I maybe didn't appreciate as much at the time. Also, uh, you know not just because he's a reliever, which you know, just as a blanket statement is a is a tough thing to swallow when you're giving up a player of Teoscar's caliber and you're looking at Mariners fans over the moon about it because they have such a deep bullpen anyway um but but I, I think that you know I think that Swanson is really uh going to be a good key piece who's probably going to move up the pecking order uh as the season progresses uh if he's not already sort of like the the number two to, to Romano's number one um 
you know, you, like I said, you're watching Mariners fans be excited. Of course, they should be excited. Teoscar's a really fun player to watch. But uh, but but the way that the Blue Jays have, have accomplished their goals, I think, makes this trade look better for them than it did in the moment. Um, and yeah, I'm, I think it's like one of the better ones that they probably made, which is which feels weird to say. But because uh, Adam Mack was no slouch either. Like, there's some people who think that he's you know a top ten guy for them. You know, back end of the top ten, but like a, a legit prospect. Uh, so it was pretty good haul in terms of. In terms of that, in terms of you know being able to get George Springer into right field, obviously uh, a very important thing for them, given you know the way the Springer's first two years in Toronto have gone. Um, so I think it's worked out really well. It's like an eight or something. I'll, I'll, I'll give her an eight, sure. Eight. I'm a little yeah. less enthusiastic about it. I, it's it's a hard deal to be excited about, right? Because yes. Teoscar Hernandez is a two-time Silver Slugger. He's been an All-Star. For the last three seasons, he's 18th in WRC plus among all hitters. Like he's very literally an elite offensive <laughs> threat. And it, it kind of goes to show how the way teams value players has changed so much. Like if this deal got made 20 years ago and you traded away a guy who was a big time slug, like 35 home run type of slugger, one of the best hitters in the league for a reliever who had had one good year and was kind of not very well known and a prospect who was yeah kind of bottom end of a team's top 10 people would have thought you're insane but now mm-hmm. it's like okay well think about teoscar hernandez he's 30 are you going to extend him he's already a negative in the field he's probably only going to get worse as he ages he's had one season above 2.5 above 2.4 war uh, which is a little bit surprising considering just how dominant he's been with the bat and so, yeah, you weren't going to extend him. This isn't a bad package to get from him. I think I'd be giving it a seven, but Mako is really interesting. Like he's a guy, Fangraphs recently put out, they're kind of picks to click guys they that aren't on their top 100, but they expect to be on their top 100 in 2024. He was on there, you know, 148 Ks and 95 innings in his minor league career so far. We just haven't seen a lot from him, but the stuff is really interesting Swanson is funny to me because it, it just seems like for the last couple of years, we've been complaining about how the Blue Jays seem to think they can outsmart the relief market and be like, ha, huh, we don't need to get guys who throw 100 because we'll get Simber and he's as effective and we'll get him for cheaper and we'll get Trevor Richards and he gets strikeouts too, even though it's with this changeup and we don't have to overpay for him because he doesn't throw 100 and then they get exactly that type of guy once again. Um, <laughs> that being said, Swanson is a really good pitcher and I think the idea of a guy having one good year is is seen a little bit differently these days when people have much more detailed information about the quality of guys' pitches and how they locate, and it's not as much kind of small sample randomness. I don't think he'll be as good as he was in 2022 just because he was so good. That's an incredibly high bar. So uh, if I'm the Blue Jays and I, like, say I'm, I don't know, the president of the Blue Jays or ownership and I'm brought this deal, I absolutely sign off on it. Uh, but I totally understand why if you're a Blue Jays <laughs> fan and this deal came through, you think that this is one of the least exciting ways you can, least exciting things you can do with Teoscar Hernandez because the most exciting thing to do would have been to extend him. Uh, but I don't think I would have done that in their position. No, I don't think so either. I, I, you're right. And and I understand exactly. And I, I was not real enthused at the time about the deal. Uh, but I do think that it was sort of like a domino had to fall in order to open up a lot of the other pathways that have ended up in, you know, Varsho getting here and, and Belt and, and the way that they've, you know, backfilled and hopefully strengthened the, the, the composition of the team. You know, like just like I said, getting get, get, giving Springer the opportunity to play in right field, I think, makes so much sense. And, you know, it, 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 it does feel, 
you know, in isolation, I think this is it, it's a weird looking deal for sure. Uh, but like look, looking at the bigger picture, I, I still, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with my eight. All right. So that's a Blue Jays happy hour official 7.5 on that. Not a bad grade. <laughs> uh, we, we should go to Varsha because that's the Varsha's the biggest. That's the biggest deal, right? Like Gabriel Moreno was the piece the Blue Jays always had as their trump card of we want to make a big upgrade and we don't want to subtract from our roster or necessarily lock ourselves into a massive long-term free agent contract. The one avenue to doing that was cashing in Moreno. And I mean, arguably Kirk, but you know, Kirk's trade value is a bit weird just because different teams would have seen him in different ways. Everyone basically in the baseball world saw Moreno as an incredibly high level prospect. And the guy they got from is Dalton Varsho. I'm going to let you go first on this. I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert and say that he scares me a little bit, and I'm probably not as high on this deal as uh, as some people are. Oh, he definitely scares me as well. Uh, you know, there's definitely, you know, there, there's there's platoon worries, though he was better in 2021 uh, against lefties, but that, that's that's a real thing. Um, I think on At The Letters, I think Arden was like, noted his, like, sort of Grichuckian uh, qualities, which, you know, I think... Uh, Hopefully not, but hopefully, but but I, I think is it's definitely possible that some fans will uh, will sort of zero in on that and zero in on you know the the on base isn't going to be great. Uh, there's probably like you know probably relying on some Babbitt and just and and just the home runs. It's 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 a shape of a player that Blue Jays have had you know have been infatuated with before uh, that that doesn't necessarily move the needle uh, in terms of fans, even if you know the overall the you know the weighted runs created plus and all that the production is going to be good. Um, he's really only done it once, which is like you said with Swanson, I think, you know, you can feel better about that kind of thing, especially a younger guy coming up. You think he's a, you know, he's a good, uh, you know, he's a good bet to be, to be pretty decent. Um, it's, I think the, the for me, what, uh, what makes or well, well, not what makes or breaks the trade, because that's going to be his bat, but, uh, what the, the, the sort of hidden value is the fact that he can play catcher and can consolidate, a roster spot, which is something that fans are not going to notice if he's, you know, hitting 204 in June. But the, the fact that they don't have to carry a third catcher and can sort of deploy Jansen and Kirk a little more freely because they have another guy in the field who can who can put the gear on uh, really helps and is going to help. I mean, they haven't really taken advantage of it yet, but it's going to help them, I think, in terms of, you know, adding a, a bench bat, is there, they're adding a guy who who could just make their bench better because they don't have to occupy that one spot with your Zach Collins uh, of the world. I think that's a big value add that isn't going to be reflected necessarily in Varsho's numbers, uh, but that we can't forget. But yeah, Varsho's numbers could be, could, could, could turn some fans off uh, because, you know, this is, and this is why I thought I really liked the belt signing because, you know, that's, I think when Varsho, uh, when the Varsho deal happened, um, I think you know. I think the thought was maybe okay. Well, now here's your here's your middle of the order lefty bat, and with Belt here, I think Varsha kind of goes down to a more natural spot for it. Uh, grade grade wise, yeah, that's like a that's a, I'll give it a seven though, because I think Moreno, much as he's a great prospect, and much as they could regret that, kind of found money, and and they they just that that situation couldn't continue, so they had to move someone there. So uh, you know the the price while high in in isolation again, I think uh, made a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it was a very odd situation, their catching situation. It's not, it's so rare to get one competent young catcher <laughs> in the majors right now. And they had three of them 
with a sort of unusual skill set. The positive, I'm going to start with the positive with Varsho. I think kind of as you alluded to, he is more valuable to the Blue Jays potentially than he would be to other teams. Like he provides the left-right balance that they've been lacking. Like you mentioned, he can play a little catcher in a pinch and prevent them from feeling the need to have unnecessary veteran catchers kicking around the building, although Schneider has made kind of comments to the effect that they might do that. I'm not sold that they will. I think that they'll use him, yeah, maybe more in an emergency, not planned, but they have that card to play. I think also he's someone who hits high velocity really, really well, Mm -hmm. uh, as good as anyone on the team, and that has been an issue for them, kind of those late and close situations against those high leverage relievers, especially the big righties. He might be your guy for that. So the fit is really good with him. He can play center field too. The the quote unquote fit. That being said, when you are trading a guy who is, you know, at some points considered the best prospect at all of baseball, getting a player like this, who for me is more of an above average starter potentially than a star, is I don't know, a little bit underwhelming that this is the guy you end up getting. Now you, the the platoon issue is a big issue you know 66 wrc plus against lefties in his career it's not a huge sample because he you know he just hasn't been around that long it's possible he can do better than that that's a worry also a lot of value tied up in defensive metrics and you know you can mm-hmm. look at it like i've spent some time in mob film room which is a fantastic uh, little feature they've got there i've watched this guy do some work and he's really good at what he does i'm not trying to take away and say that's all a fluke but at the same time, first of all, you're playing him mostly in left field, like a non-premium defensive position. I know Brett Gardner, for instance, has made a lot of hay uh, from there before. You can do it, but it's a little bit harder to have a massive defensive impact from that position. And he's not lightning quick. Like he's more in the George Springer mode. He's got the 69th percentile sprint speed last year. It was better in the past, so we'll see what happens this year. It'll be an interesting one to watch. But he is a guy who you're, it's like, it's instincts, it's jump. It's all the things that people used to say about Vernon Wells that upon closer inspection may or may not have been true. Um, and that skill set is a little tough to trust. Like it's a little bit ethereal. Uh, and I would want to see him do it for more years than he's done it. Like in my mind, there's a scenario where he comes in, is about an average hitter and kind of more of a platoon option if you're being realistic. And his defense is, you know, just kind of regresses to the mean a little bit. And you're not looking at a fantastic player at that point, And you've traded away a guy who many people see as a future star. Again, I, I'm, I'm cut to the chase. I'm giving it a six because of all mm-hmm. these worries I have. I don't think it's a disaster. And there's a pretty good chance that he does perform well and hit, you know, close to 30 home runs again this year and provide some balance and all that stuff. And, you know, people have talked him up on the bases as well already. Uh, he's just his skill set is a little bit funky, and it it's it makes me a bit wary. No, I think that's completely fair. There, there it is not a it's not a slam dunk for sure. It's a it's a sort of baseball trade, which which is fun, but also means that you know uh, it could go sideways. It could look ugly, but uh, I I don't know. I, I think it, it, the the fit makes sense, and as you say, the fit is very good. The fit it, it he is kind of as good as you can get in terms of fitting what they already have. Maybe not as good as you could get in terms of uh, what is the most talent you could get for Moreno. But mm-hmm. at the same time, for many years, and this is a theme of the Blue Jays offseason, for many years it seems like they've been in, maybe many years as an exaggeration, for a couple of years now in the Vladdy era, 
they've been in this talent acquisition mode where it's like, let's just get a bunch of guys who are good and let's hope for the best. And we've got some good vibes here and it's going to work. And they've kind of said, oh, you don't necessarily need to build a team like X, Y, and Z as long as you're good enough. And to be frank, it hasn't worked. Now, it hasn't worked. You know, they missed the playoffs by a single game in a season that they might have had a good run. They had some weird stuff happen to them in a two-game series against the Mariners. I don't think that means that their previous choices were wrong, but, you know, the results are the results. And it seems like they've they've, uh, do you zig or zag? Whichever (laughs) one you do, it seems like that's what they've done this time. Which is fair enough, because you know, at a certain point, if you keep doing the same thing and running out the same guys and you're not getting results, you know, the the clock is ticking on Vladdy and Bo and all that stuff. But we can get to that later. Yeah. We've got to the, get. Though I will, well, I will say, yeah, but uh, just sort of, sort of, just to add to that, uh, like you know, yeah, um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Um, and you know, it would. It's easy to say here, like, oh, you know, we would like to see them run it back, but it would be tough if they had sort of the same shape of a team that they ended up in with in 2021 and 2022, they did that again and ended up in the same place again next year. People would start asking some real questions about why didn't you address the flaws with the defense, the base running, the, the lineup balance, all that. So I, I think it's better to try to try to answer those questions a year early or about, you know, uh, you know, a little early be, be on the front foot there, as opposed to, being here a year later and being like, it's three years of the same thing. Why didn't you notice that this was flawed? Because it's been obvious for a while. And some of it they literally couldn't do. Like, you couldn't have rolled out Springer again. You know, the way his season yeah. ended there, the fact he played more innings in center field as a 32-year-old than he had uh, in the rest of his career. Like, that was a career high. Like, it's just, it's not realistic. Like, that mm-hmm. that particular thing just wasn't going to be the same. So once you change that, you're going to reshape the team to some degree, and they've reshaped the team quite a bit. Uh, the next guy on the list, I'm, I don't know if I'm, I'm not really going chronological order here, kind of impact order-ish, uh, is the Chris Bassett deal, which I is probably, sorry, Varsho got 6.5, by the way, for those people who are struggling with that mental math <laughs> at home. Uh, the Bassett deal... I think was maybe one of the least controversial things the Blue Jays did in the offseason. Like they needed a starter. Bassett is a guy with a great track record in recent years, durable, effective, maybe not, you know, spectacular, not blowing guys away, uh, but a reliable starter for the middle of the rotation. He fits that to a T. But, you know, that said, it's it's not, you know, it's more of a slam dunk than Varsho, but nothing's a slam dunk. And it's not like there are no concerns with Bassett. No, that's right. I, you know, he's an older guy, but also that, you know, they gave up a, a, a draft pick. He was a guy with uh, with the compensation tied to him, which I thought was was good, was a positive development. You know, all the stuff with the you know, going over the luxury tax, like that kind of stuff has been good to see. Uh, yeah, I really like the Bassett deal. He was not a guy who was on my radar. I don't think he was on a lot of people's radar, uh, which is strange in retrospect because, you know, it's like they needed to replace Ross Stripling and they needed to sort of have a guy who you felt <laughs> if Barrios has another year like like he did in 2022, could take the ball in October for you and, and sort of knock Barrios back into the rotation. And Bassett's sort of a perfect fit there. Uh, you know, he doesn't throw super hard. He throws a lot of pitches. He's, uh, you know... Uh, a, a very like yeah, he's a mid rotation guy, uh, but just a really a really sort of perfect one, and I think the deal looked good. I I really like this. I, I will, I'll give it a nine. I'm I'm obviously grading high, uh, but I you know obviously it may not work out. All these things may not work out, 
uh, you know, and I'd given I'd given fucking Barrios' uh, extension a nine last year. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, who the hell knows? Uh, but again, in terms of fit and just in terms of like the goals they needed to accomplish in the rotation, uh, you know, they, they they were a little a little light on the back end. But in terms of the the Barrios stripling middle of part of that rotation, I think uh, Bassett does a great job of fitting in there. Yeah, I think he's he has a maybe a higher a bigger range of outcomes than people realize because if you just look at his track record, like last three years, sixty eight starts, which is not literally all the starts you can make, but it's close to it when you think about twenty twenty being sort of a mm-hmm. twelve start type of year for most pitchers. You know, that's four hundred and two innings of three thirteen ERA ball. Uh, you know, he's good at soft contact, like that stuff doesn't look particularly fluky. He's got the seven pitches. Uh, he uses used six percent of the time or more. So, like, if you use something that much, obviously that's not huge, but it's something that hitters have to be aware of. And he really does mix things up. He'll he'll be a fun guy to watch. Like, it'll be fun to sort of think along with him when he's pitching. The one thing, and I I wrote a piece for Sportsnet about this that does worry me a little bit with Bassett is the the home road thing. And sometimes that mm-hmm. can be oversimplified guys tend to perform better at home kind of no matter what just due to being comfortable better rested routine all that jazz but you know he's pitched in very pitcher-friendly ballparks basically his whole career since he left the White Sox and so his career splits home ERA 268 road ERA 426 and that's really driven by home runs too. Like at home, the home ERA, uh, sorry, home 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 runs per nine innings. That's a mouthful. Zero uh, point six, and then away home runs per nine innings, one point two five. So literally twice as many on the road when he gets to what you'd assume is sort of a more neutral run of ballparks, as opposed to Oakland, as opposed to the Mets. That uh, yeah, that makes me think. For instance, that a three thirteen ERA might not be coming his way uh, in twenty twenty three. True. Yeah. No. I, I think that's that's absolutely true. There are some uh, some homer friendly parks uh, in the American League East, particularly the uh, the one that the Blue Jays play in now. Uh, though Mark Shapiro continues to insist that it's going to play neutrally. We'll we'll see how that goes. I mean, just a little sidebar on that. Okay. <laughs> so, and I, I and I'd thought about writing some stuff on this too, but. People see the dimensions of this park and they think, Jesus, this is going to be easy, especially for left-handers to hit it out of the right center field alley. And it's easy to make those overlays and assume like, okay, here are the dimensions, here are the previous dimensions. We know where all the bad balls go and therefore we can extrapolate X, Y, and Z. And I've played that game before, um, undoubtedly, but it is worth noting that, you know, the height of the walls is a variable that matters here. Mm-hmm. And it might be that it is good for offense, but, but guys might just be banging it off the wall all the time. Like we do need to see it play to some extent. I know that it's easy to get ahead of ourselves and say, wow, this is going to be a band box. It's going to be wild. What happens out here? It's going to be fun to watch. And I think, you know, the irregularities in the wall, for instance, will create entertainment value. Some will not go in favor of the Blue Jays. I'm just warning people in advance about that. It's not necessarily going to be some massive home field advantage. Uh, it might just be more general chaos. But I, I think <laughs> though it'll be, I mean, without Lourdes and Teoscar out there, they, they, they have a fighting chance. For it's it to be it's true. They've they've equipped themselves with gentlemen out there who are uh, better suited to deal with that chaos than yes. uh, than perhaps they had before. But I, I do think 
people just no one's talking about the fact these walls are going to be taller as well and that that might mm-hmm. just be important and i you know uh, and maybe it won't true. be but i but it's just like let's not necessarily get out in front of our skis here and assume that it's going to be this wild offensive paradise though what i what i would say you're absolutely right though what i would say is also you know Chapar was talked about this in, in terms of phase two of the renovation is that outside of oakland the the, the roger center has the most foul territory in baseball and they're going to curb that a bit uh and when they do the the infield part of the stadium and so well that would that will make it that will tilt it towards hitter friendly uh even more if it to a greater degree if so if if this plays uh hitter friendly then next year it could play very hitter friendly so um which is fine i don't know that's cool hits are cool (laughs) i'm not i'm not pitching for the jays so i don't have to worry about that but uh but that I think that'll be interesting because if you think that if the idea is that is that it will be relatively neutral overall by the end of of the renovations, including phase two, then you would think that it would maybe be slightly you know pitcher friendly. Uh, and then I then I don't know if this is driving you know what anybody's thoughts are on on the wall stuff because I think you're right that a lot of people are missing that the the, the wall heights are definitely a variable. Um, but I, but that that intrigues me as well because if it does look hitter friendly. Uh, oh boy, cutting down on some of that foul territory could, uh, you know, it's just going to accumulate uh, more uh, balls in play. Yeah, just running. I was just wondering off the top of my head while you're talking about it, like who might that specifically benefit? And just over the last three years, the Blue Jay with the most infield fly balls. And again, I didn't pull up foul because that is difficult to do in the middle of a podcast. And maybe all of these fly balls are in play and this doesn't matter at all. But the guy, the first name that came up was Danny Jansen, uh, which is a name we're going to touch on later. But uh, if Danny Jansen... <laughs> could somehow find an edge to improve further on what he's done over the last couple of years, he would truly become a uh, juggernaut of an offensive catcher. But we have gotten sidetracked here. We have two more quasi-major. I don't know if these are major. we got a couple more one-year deals to talk about. The first one, and yeah, again, we're we're going straight to spoilers. By the way, I think that our uh, our score on Bassett is 8.25. Uh, yeah, which yeah. I, I should have realized that that was going to get you know more decimal points than I wanted, but I just didn't feel good about seven or eight with Bassett. Uh, this is my favorite, is Brandon Belt. I gave Oh, God, I, I thought you were going to say Kierma. No, no, oh, my God, no. I mean, I know that I've had some counterintuitive takes in the past, and I'm not, uh, I'm maybe not the biggest group thinker, but I'm, not, I'm not also not that guy who's trying to get out there uh with a take like that no my favorite is brandon belt uh i gave brandon belt a nine and i think that a lot of blue jays fans just because you know because he's out west he's in the nl you just there's a general rep there's the two things you probably look to most when your team signs a player one what do i know about this player and i think what most people know about brandon belt is that he's been like a pretty good first baseman maybe without a ton of traditional power for the giants forever uh, so you know that he's been around and he's been pretty good and he's, uh, you know, you could, I guess maybe if he, he's a winner if you want to walk down that path. Um, and then the second thing you probably do is in a lot of, for example, if you read an article of like Blue Jays signed Brandon Bell, you're just reading the news article. What they're going to put in there is what he did last year. And what he did last year was not impressive. So mm-hmm. the combination is here's a guy I know is sort of decent and I know that he's old and I know that last year he was shit. So that's not a good uh, way to go into it as a Blue Jays fan. What I'm trying to say here is that the guy was absolutely amazing in 2020 and 2021. 
And last year was dealing with knee injuries. And I'm not saying that that couldn't happen again because he's at an age where injuries are likely to recur. And, you know, obviously maybe the bat's going to slow down a little bit. But by WRC Plus between 2020 and 2021, like he had this incredible breakout, like a late career breakout where he had the third best WRC Plus in all of baseball behind Acuna Jr. and Bryce Harper and a 310 ISO in an incredibly pitcher-friendly park. Like I just don't think the people realize what the ceiling is here and maybe that's not even that may not even be the ceiling that may not even be within the realm of possibility but getting even close to that like if he were to put up i don't know a 130 wrc plus like that's the kind of left-handed contribution they haven't had since you know justin smoke in 2017 uh i think that that's a possibility like he's he's got the patience he's a smart hitter he's never been a guy who has massive physical tools that he relies on um, and so as maybe that means that he's just going to get worse enough with his tools that he's not viable, but it could also mean that he's got the smarts to work his way through it. That remains to be seen. The other thing with this deal is there's just no downside. Like if he's terrible, you could cut him mid season. It's a one year deal. If he's not your, your DH, then you just work guys through that slot as you normally do. Whoever's hot, get the double catchers in there, give guys a rest. Like I just... I have a really hard time seeing what the problem with this deal could be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would give it a nine too. Uh, maybe because I gave Bassett a nine, I should give it a ten because I do. I'm, I'm with you. I, I looked it up. I think it's like against right-handed pitchers. I think it was between across twenty and twenty twenty and twenty twenty one. I think it was like one hundred seventy five was his weighted runs created plus. Like it, this was an outstanding, outstanding hitter. Uh, and then it was a hundred percent the knee that was the issue last year. Uh, shut him down early, but he played through pain the whole time. I mean, I, I say 100%. I guess maybe that's that's not realistic. But, like, you could draw the line between his performance and the fact that his knee was bugging him all year, needed surgery, and now he's back and saying it feels fine. I mean, that could go, you know, knees are knees are funky, especially, you know, the, the later in life one gets. So you're right. This, it's not a slam dunk, nor, nor is anything. Uh, but yeah, I love this deal. Like, uh, like I said, when we were talking about Varsho, like, the, like this is the guy who you want in the middle of, the, of your lineup uh, against right-handed pitching, and, and the guy who you know they've sort of sought for. I guess since since Smoke, though, I would put him in a category above Smoke, though Smokey, Smokey, you know, we all love Smokey. But uh, and also maybe kind of kind of similar in the way. I mean, I guess like Smoke always had really great natural power, and it was kind of like. Uh, yeah, you don't don't go all. He kind of did the reverse, maybe. Don't go all out, and you'll still hit it over the wall. Plenty, uh, you know. Belt Belt was more, uh, you know, uh, doubles power. I mean, obviously the ballparks are a factor, but like, uh, but his strikeout rate has risen, and as his his power, but it's kind of done it done so in uh, in, in a, a reasonable you know uh, ratio. Uh, you know, he's not like striking out crazy, but like not you know he's not below twenty percent like he was earlier in his career. So that you know without reading countless interviews or, or, or going too deep into it generally is like, okay, so he's selling out for power a little bit more and it seemed to really, really work. Uh, and, you know, coming over to the Blue Jays and to the American League East and to, uh, you know, the offensive environment here, uh, yeah, it could work out just spectacularly well. And I, I think that that knee of his could, you know, it, it is kind of going to be the difference perhaps between, you know, as as much as anything, I would put, like to put a bet on the uh, the the difference between you know it being a pretty good season and it could you know be a great season for the team because I I think that there really is that ceiling there, uh, even though you're you're correct in saying it doesn't have to be one seventy five win runs created plus because that's obviously 
crazy, but even even just like a regular old left-handed slugger in the middle of this lineup will make it so much more potent and so much more difficult to deal with in the, the like the late and close situations that we've talked about and that we've seen for two years are are are, are troubling, troublesome for uh, uh, for all the right-handed hitters that the Jays had. Yeah, I mean, the last time, and again, it, maybe it's not fair to just wipe 2022 away. You know, he is getting older. That's probably a factor. Like you said, the knee was huge, but, you know, there's other things as well. There's regression. But, like, if you just go back to 2021, he had 29 home runs and 381 plate appearances in <laughs> San Francisco and playing in all those West Coast parks where there's all that moisture batting the ball down. Like, this this is a serious power threat that they, yeah, they just have not had from the left side in a long time. And it could it could be absolutely zero. It could just be... Is just physically he isn't up to it. He's not able to get back to where he was. Like the deal is so good to my eyes that I almost think that it makes me question my own judgment about it. You know what I mean? Like I'm so enthusiastic <laughs> right. about this deal that I'm like, well, you know what? 30 MLB teams who are pretty well informed about projecting player performance opted not to give him way more than this. Uh, so that that deserves to be considered above yes, above my true. personal feelings <laughs> um but again i just i wouldn't be shocked if he like you said if he is a crucial component of whether the blue jays have a ton of success or not this year but i i'm still willing, willing to hang that nine maybe that one that i'm leaving off of the 10 that is my doubt about whether i'm smarter than every other mlb front office <laughs> that can be the one out of 10 and then the nine out of 10 is my feeling that this is a great deal uh, we're going to, we'll get to Kiermaier. This one, I don't know. It feels a little bit cut and dry in a sense, because it seems like we know what Kiermaier is, right? Like if you have Kiermaier, you're lucky if he approaches league average at the plate against righties, really. And against lefties, you know, he's going to be more or less hopeless. The fact that he said that there weren't really going to be platoons going on, not necessarily what you want to hear, uh, from him. At the same time, I could see Blue Jays fans really getting on board with him just, you know, because, you know, grittiness and highlights and all that jazz. All the stuff that, Ke like, all the Kevin Pillar stuff. Like, you could just do all of Kevin Pillar stuff. But when a guy is 32, he's had injury worries, and the main skill that you're banking on is defense, uh, it is tough to be super enthusiastic about, it, especially because Varsho can basically play center field. Not basically, he can play center field. So the the need for Kiermaier doesn't feel as acute as maybe it did the moment they signed him uh, when it felt like they were really grasping for that center field solution. But I don't know. I, I mean, I gave this a five stone and I would be shocked if you're far above that. I don't I don't think there are too many people who are jumping up and down about this deal. No, I would I would go below that. I would give it a four, but it, which you know, uh, it would be a great deal for a fourth outfielder. It's just he, all indications are he's a, a, an everyday guy. Um, which, you know, I, I'm probably underrating defense, you know, not just his, which is elite as long as the hit uh, isn't an issue, but he, you know, the, the, all of the metrics, even before he went on the shelf the, uh, last year, um, said that he still was. And so you presume he was dealing with that. It's corrected. It should be fine. There shouldn't be an issue there. Uh, even a, a slightly downgraded, uh, Kiermaier is an outstanding defender as long as he could stay on the field, which is. You know, again, a, a question, a guy who played a little less than they, they expect him to play, I would be pretty happy with that deal. Uh, I, I would say in its in its defense, was it was, you know, they didn't have Varsho at the time that they got him and, and, and they needed a center fielder. And it was sort of, uh, 
a guy that you get to ensure that you don't end up with something worse out there. And he was sort of like a, a really nice baseline for them. Uh, I understand the thinking behind it. Um, but, uh, the, but, but, it, but to get him, you have to be like, okay, you're like, it's your job to lose, uh, which he could, which could make a lot of the concerns sort of go away. And if he sort of ends up falling back into, uh, you know, a more of a, a, a semi-regular role, I think that could be, that could be, that could work really well. And maybe, you know, I'm falling into the trap of which every fan does, and every, especially this time of year, you know, you start thinking about the opening day roster and how that's going to look and, and forget that all sorts of stuff is going to change across the course of the season. So, you know, the fact that he's saying it's his job to lose and there's not, maybe not going to platoon much and that uh, he's expecting to play pretty much every day. Uh, that's what he's expecting, but it could change. And then I think that could be a more suitable situation. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's everything that you said. The, the bat doesn't wow you. I, I think that they have enough offense in the rest of the lineup um, to, to make that, to make that work. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not one that, that one's going to be over the moon about, uh, though, though, you know, again, as a winner, the grittiness, uh, people are going to be attracted to that, which is fine, which is fun. And he's a guy who, you know, you feel better again than some of the previous outfielders about how he's going to be able to play balls off the, off the wall and, and deal with all those new kinks there that nobody is, is going to be, uh, up to speed on and, and, and will help give them an advantage in that, you know, repetition there should help him be able to plant those balls better uh, and over the course of the year, you know, give them a real advantage in that way. You know, uh, they needed, they needed a guy like this on the roster. I don't know if they had to pay him. Well, the money I don't give a shit about, but they, they didn't have to offer him as many at bats, but they did to get him and to ensure that they didn't have a worse option out there. I also think that at some point along the line, and maybe this is naive of me, I I'm inclined to believe that there's going to be a right-handed outfielder that comes this team's way. Like it's just whether that is someone who loses a spring training battle and ends up getting cut or a team is realizes that someone else has emerged and they find that one of their players is superfluous like that is just so clearly a need for this team. And I don't think it's a skill set that it's too hard to acquire at a pretty modest cost. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think there's another right-handed bat in the works for this team. Maybe not a fantastic one, but if that does happen, then that could help uh, mitigate, you know, some of the negative impact Kumar, Kumar could have against left-handed pitching, which makes him look a little different. But again, you know, they kind of told him is not a platoon. So at this point, we have to take that at face value. But if at some point this season uh, it became a platoon, that would not shock me in the slightest. No, me either. I, and you're, I mean, yeah, you know, everybody talked about Robbie Grossman all year. That's obviously not a situation that he's, you know, here come come be our pinch hitter slash like occasional outfielder. Like he can do better than that and did do better than that. Uh, so you understand why that's that that maybe didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, I think that that, that they're just screaming for a Steve, Steve Pierce type is the is the thing that I, I keep coming back to. You know, maybe play a little second, maybe play a little outfield. Not great on it either, but we'll just absolutely crush lefties and win uh, World Series MVP. That, that, that too. Hey, when speaking speaking of you know, because right now their optimal lineup against lefties, you know, if we assume there's no politics about center field, is like Merrifield and left and Espinal at second base. Which you know, those those are right-handed hitters to an advantage. Espinal in the first half was really great against uh, against lefty pitchers, and then in the second half, like everything else about his season, kind of dropped off. So you don't really know what you've got there. Um, but yeah, just a guy who's a guy like Robbie Grossman would have 
would have bumped one of those guys out of your lineup and just made it all that more potent. And uh, and there's a bench spot sitting there open for somebody like that to come along. It doesn't have to be Grossman. Obviously, it won't be. Uh, but if they can find someone like that, then uh, then I, I think that they're just they're just better suited to to play matchups. And also, you know, later in you know later in games, you know, as a pinch hitter, you know, you might need. You would love to have a guy like that on your bench to pinch hit for Varsho again if they bring in a lefty to pinch hit for Kiermaier to pinch hit for Belt. Yeah, so that is a 4.5 from us. That is the bottom of the barrel in terms of all these uh, <laughs> ones we're catching up on. Number one, Belt, uh, Bassett, and Teoscar deals at, seven, uh, at 7.5. Belt was 9. Varsho, 6.5. Kiermaier, 4.5. Let's get to some of the stuff that's a little bit more current. You know, We can't just spend this whole time recapping the past. I have to say, personally, like I'm just not a big fan of spring training content. I pay attention to the extent uh, I need to pay attention because it's worthwhile for me for my work. I don't care for the games. I find most of the storylines end up not mattering in the end. So the question I kind of want to ask today is some of the stuff that's come out thus far. Is it going to matter at all? Or is this just, are we just sort of filling the void pre-baseball season? And to be clear, if anyone is reporting on this or writing about this, this is not me taking aim at them. Like I have been there as well. There is a content void that needs to be filled. That is kind of what we are doing today to some extent. Um, (laughs) So I'm not taking aim at anyone, but I'm just saying uh, here are the spring training things that I'm seeing. And like, does any of this matter? So I'm going to go down the list. And if it just straight up doesn't matter at all we can just breeze past it i'm absolutely fine with that the first one i think is kind of the first one to come out of spring training that people glommed onto that was the best shape of his life uh someone's got to do it and this year it's danny jansen apparently a lot of talk about um you know just the way he looks the way balls coming off his bat i tend to ignore these like just this genre, you know, like the guy is in the best shape of his life. That being said, uh, Santiago Espinal made me think last year a little bit. And I know that he did not end up, you know, performing at a very high level offensively. He didn't end up hitting for a bunch of power after looking differently, but he did pick up like three miles per hour on his max exit velo, like a, an appreciable mm-hmm. gain in his power ceiling. And I wonder, like, if that were to happen to Danny Jansen, and I'm not saying it's going to, and may, it's probably easier for Espinal because he had an incredibly low baseline. Even the heights that he reached were still very low in the context of MLB hitters. But if something like that happened with Jansen, like, you could be looking at something pretty interesting because the guy's already hitting for power to, at an incredible clip, to be honest, over the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I no, I, it, it's it's wild the to think about what Danny Jansen has done over the last, I, I tweeted, you know, tongue firmly in cheek uh, the other day about, because, you know, you have to, you have to claw back the sample to like anybody. The cutoff is like 300 plate appearances, but he's a top 10 hitter in baseball since July, 2021 uh, for guys above 300 plate appearances. It's like, it's all the superstars and Danny Jansen, which is funny. Uh, but it also speaks to how tough it's been for him to stay on the field, which I think is the bigger thing because, yeah, I, I you know, I, they've been such small bursts. And I know we've talked about this, you know, time and again about it because it's just been a fascinating thing. Like, like that, that, you know, the injury hasn't sort of taken away whatever he's doing now, the, the Danny Bats thing where he's just yanking them over the, over the left field wall, uh, which is, yeah, if, if the best shape of his life thing 
does you know add something to his ceiling is kind of crazy to think but but i think you know we've seen what his ceiling is it's you know it's hard to think that he could get better than like the raw numbers he's produced over the last year when healthy um but yeah it, he's a really he's a really really intriguing guy uh which is sort of kind of crazy to say but but there's you know just so many questions because the performance in the big leagues at the start was was not this and also uh the health thing but uh but uh, but man, yeah, uh, suck that suck that story into the vacuum that is created after like the excitement of pitchers and catcher, catchers reporting sort of wears off like instantly, and then you're kind of like, oh right, six weeks of spring training, uh, you know, the, 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 that 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 void needs filling, and that one's that's a story I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming across my feed yeah yeah when you're wandering through the void you could do worse um <laughs> yeah i mean jansen's had a wild career right like he came up as a bat first catcher who specialized in you know drawing walks being patient cutting down on strikeouts and hitting you know just kind of line drives and spraying them around and then suddenly he became a high level defensive catcher who couldn't hit anything and then his next act was to become like a massive power hitter, uh, which no one saw coming kind of at any point during his minor league career. Like he, yeah, he never had an impressive home run total in the minor. So it is, you know, as a guy who's approaching his 28th birthday, he has one of the widest range of outcomes you can imagine because he's just been so many things over the course of his career. And he's an, he's an interesting one to watch. Again, I'm not sure if, this best shape of his life stuff is going to make a real impact, but he is a fascinating figure on this team. The next one I want to get to is the other catcher, Alejandro Kirk being away from the team uh, to await the birth of a child. To be clear, as far as I'm concerned, this is uh, you know perfectly good reason to be away from the team. The only reason I bring it up is just because it, it strikes me as a little bit odd. The comments the Blue Jays made about it being kind of, you know, it's getting dicey or it could be an issue. I don't want to misquote Schneider here, but like in this scenario, what I expect the team to say is, uh, you know, we're supportive of Alejandro and like this is a big moment in his life and we look forward to having him back. And it, it has struck me as a little bit odd that I wouldn't say they've made disparaging comments about him. That would be unfair. But uh, they have, you know, it would just be very easy to go with bland, positive platitudes and they haven't really done that. Yeah, that is a bit odd. And and. You know, saw some of the some of the way the quotes have come out, and I don't know if Schneider. I think he maybe clarified them the day after, or uh, like I, like Shy uh, tweeted about it and sort of made clearer than others that I've seen that they were kind of more talking about the WBC because it's like you know he's also going to be you know that that's that's really you know I, I don't think they're concerned about him being away with his wife. I think they're kind of using the fact that he's missing this time to sort of press on him. Hey, don't go to the World Baseball Classic because they want him here learning Chris Bassett's seven pitches and, and like how he wants to call game and like and you know the all the things that need to be done during the spring. And I, so I I suspect that's that you know I don't think that they are like hey get that thing out of her already. <laughs> no, like, obviously but, not. But, obviously not. Uh, but it is it's interesting that it would play out in the in, in the media like that and uh, even like and, even and, I know that there are rule changes, but like, the the staff is pretty similar. Like if you look at the bullpen, for instance, like there's not a lot of change. You look at the rotation. Like I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm underestimating the amount of work Kirk needs to do. But it it you know again, I I don't think teams like the way the WBC exists just as a general oh, like they don't really not they don't. yeah and so i guess it's easy for them to find excuses to be like oh i don't know if this is the best move for you 
uh, you know, especially with pitchers, I imagine. So I, I, I kind of get that side of it. But, you know, the guy wants to represent his country and he also has some family stuff going on. Like, I don't know. I I just let him do it all. I just let him do it uh, all. Yeah. Me, but. And also, uh, speaking of Shy, his piece on, on Bassett, uh, one day Jansen is, is, is like, that sort of appears to be his task. He's going to catch him. On, I mean, Kirk's not there anyway, but. But that, that sort of makes sense as a, as a pairing, I suppose, anyway. You know, we know Kirk's going to catch Manoa. Um, and, you know, the rest we'll figure out. Uh, but also he said that that, uh, that Bassett's going to experiment with calling his own game with Pitchcom, which he wasn't able to do last year. There was no mention of it being, you know, uh, a change to the to that rule. Um, but but one can infer from the fact that Shai says that, that he's going to experiment calling his own game uh, that he'll be, he can be out there, you know, typing in the little numbers on his uh, on his sleeve, uh, which is an interesting thing, and and we'll certainly, you know, we'll mitigate the work that Kirk needs to do with with Bassett, I would su- suspect, uh, and also is uh, is kind of interesting because he was a guy where you know if you read about his time with the Mets, uh, you know, he he was shaking guys off all the time, like he has a very strong idea of what he wants to throw next and uh and 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 really needed his catchers to get on the same page to you know to speed things along and i think especially with the pitch clock coming uh and maybe that's why they're 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 allowing this uh assuming that they are um you know that's something where you kind of want to expedite the process and not have to have him shake off guys because you know he could be doing it seven times yeah, I mean that's totally understandable. I think if I were a pitcher, I would probably want to basically call my own game. Like if you know, a catcher comes up with a brutal call and the guy is all over that pitch, it's, you're the one who whose stats are affected and who makes less money the next year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would want my fate in my own hands as well. I understand that from Bassett. Also, in the kind of fundamentally changes the the whole deal of the between the pitcher and catcher a little it bit it does but. i mean yeah it, it is kind of but that's kind of what we're doing with some of these rule changes we're we're deconstructing some of the fundamental things about baseball as much as i don't think it it's not going to change the way things look or the way we enjoy the game but you know the fact that pitch clock exists i think both you and i have been in favor of that change but it is pretty fundamental to say this game that has sort of branded itself in part on you know, we don't have a clock. We're just here for to have an afternoon and we'll see where it takes us. <laughs> uh, like that's a huge change. Right. And so, like you said, having the paradigm between pitchers and catchers change as a viewer when you're watching is not going to be significant, but it is something that kind of shakes the foundations of baseball a little bit. But I, I think it's good that they're willing to do that because uh, baseball can get awfully obsessed with its own histories and traditions. And uh, yeah, sometimes the way things have always been done aren't necessarily the best way to do them. Um, elsewhere in the rotation, I thought it was funny just seeing a tweet about Yusei Kikuchi airmailing a baseball. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that guys lose grit. I don't know. Like, just the people are going to lose a baseball at some point, and it's just kind of un- feels unfair. It kind of maybe is indicative of the climate or Kikuchi, where people just have no patience with him because of how poor he was last year and unable to kind of find anything except a little bit out of the bullpen at the end there. Um, but then Mitch White has a, a little bit of a shoulder injury that he's dealing with. And so, yeah, Kikuchi looks like the guy. I don't know if either of those things seems like a big deal. The one thing I do want to say about Mitch White and a shoulder injury is that I think Mitch White's ideal position on Blue Jays, on the Blue Jays, and I, this is going to sound a little bit snide. I think it's kind of unavoidable, and I'm not trying to be as glib about it as it's going to sound, but here we go. 
I think his ideal position on the Blue Jays is IL. Like this is a guy w- with <laughs> without options, right? And when yeah. he is in the bullpen, like he's not as strong. I know that you know he can give you some length, but I think there are some guys down there who can give you some length. And uh, you know the Blue Jays have a pretty good rotation that shouldn't hang the bullpen out to dry too much, at least when healthy. Um, he, I just don't think he's a massive a- asset of the bullpen. I think the best thing he does is giving them rotation depth. So if he were to start on the IL and give them the ability to have someone else in the bullpen while Kikuchi begins the year in that fifth spot, which I think is the the best scenario, uh, as much as people, a lot of people are done with Kikuchi, and I understand why. I think, you know, the upside is just there with him, uh, and you, I think you got to give him another chance, at least a little bit, even on a short leash. So, I mean, they gave Tanner Roark another chance, right? Yeah, and, they, you know, and they quickly, <laughs> they quickly uh, decided that that wasn't for the best, and, you know, he just didn't have MLB caliber stuff, but that's not where Kikuchi is. So I, again, like I don't want to be like it's so great that Mitch Mitch White is injured, but I think for the Blue Jays that scenario in however long that happens, or maybe he'll be ready for the year. We'll see, but uh, I'm a bit skeptical. Could end up being a, a short term benefit of sorts because I I just don't think he gives you a ton out of the bullpen. Oh, and I I suspect this you know the configuration of the bullpen might change, but you know speaking of of bullpens and options, you know, uh, you know Trevor Richards is out of options, White's out of options. Um, I, I suspect there could be some some uh, some some phantom in- injuries, some weird fluky things that send guys to the IL this year. Could be some neck, uh, neck as, problems as they, as, going around. Yeah, yeah. As they as they just try to churn, you know, to keep guys fresh without uh, without having to lose guys from the organization by putting them through waivers, because that's what obviously will have have to happen uh, if guys without options uh, are tried to. If they try to move into Buffalo, um, yeah, and, and, and that all can of course change as well. But uh, but I think you're right that, that White's best spot is there. I don't think he I don't think he's a great uh, guy to have in the bullpen, especially yeah. If you have more optionable guys down there, uh, the length issue, you know, the the need for a guy who would give you bulk innings is, is I think lessened because then you can just you know <laughs> use a few guys and then call up some fresh arms and just kind of cycle through them that way, which is which is the way. Uh, it was probably the optimal way to do it. I don't think we've really been doing the conceit of acknowledging whether things matter or not, but that's fine. <laughs> I think every, everything uh, we've discussed so far has sort of to some degree mattered, I think. We haven't dismissed everything off, any, anything offhand. Yeah. The Kirk thing, maybe. maybe. Uh, um, the one... but yeah. And all the and Kikuchi airmailing. Oh, thing. yeah, I yeah. Mean, you're right. Okay. It is. It is. It, it it is unfair. It's definitely. I mean, and they're putting him out there in that first that first uh, game. Uh, I guess that's tomorrow. If uh, since today's Friday, uh, which will which sports that'll pick up, which will be from uh, wherever the hell Pittsburgh plays is Bradenton, uh, and uh, it'll be the the boring Pirates uh, broadcasts who you know they'll know nobody on the Blue Jays. It'll be very frustrating, but uh, we'll probably have turned it off <laughs> after the Kikuchi you know plunks a few guys anyway. Uh, but no, I think, like I say, Rourke got got a chance. I think you absolutely have to give him a chance. Um, he looked interesting in the bullpen. I don't think that's. I think the IL is his ideal spot too. But the the alternatives at this point, especially if White's you know shoulder impingement really isn't just you know setting him back, but is like a bigger thing. You know, are we get, is Zach Thompson 
getting the ball in the big leagues? Is, is Drew Hutchison uh, making his triumphant return? Like, I mean, those um, guys aren't as bad as some of the guys they've had at that spot in the depth chart in the past, correct. to be honest. like, And, and I don't I, think you're dying to see them by any means. Uh, but at the same time, the Blue Jays have had much worse starting pitching depth in the past. Like, I, I don't I think those guys are actually good additions to the team. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Casey Lawrence made a start last year, didn't yeah. he? Like after following an opener or something like that. And it's like he's still around. And there are now several names above him, including, you know, you know, maybe maybe Ricky Tiedemann is the uh, is the Alec Manoa to Kikuchi's Dana Roar. Perhaps uh, a couple more things on the spring, and then we're going to do a quick win total prediction before we get out of here. Uh, the parade of old players coming through. I mean, some of them are guys we've seen around before: Paul Quantrill, Pat Hankin, uh, Victor Martinez made some headlines as you know, kind of Ooh. consulting with the team. Edwin Encarnacion uh, is obviously you know the biggest name to Blue Jays fans. I will say for EE, like when he left, that's sort of when things unraveled for the Blue Jays. So maybe uh, he'll be a massive vibes factor that plays a huge <laughs> role on the team. I, I, I don't want to be too dismissive of this. It's just impossible to know what contribution these guys will make. Again, this this kind of strikes me as your uh, you know your content void type of stuff because even with the highest level of reporting. Uh, you're just there's no way that you can produce an insight on what having these guys around is going to mean who knows could no it probably, it's good branding though isn't it pro- yeah probably isn't going to be terrible probably won't destroy the like i don't think adding victor martinez will destroy the blue jays chances in 2023 People no won't no. look back on and be like that's where everything went to hell um uh, probably and you know, and they, I, I, yeah, they, they definitely like that. And I think they, they like bringing in guys like this, you know, for who have obvious, you know, obviously insights and 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 things to to impart to the players. But I also think you know, there are people were like, where does Devon wait? You know, when, when they announced the coaching staff, because he's now like a special assistant to player development or something like that. And as opposed to, you know, he was on the bench in Toronto a bit this year after the after Montoya left, and uh, and was with the Bisons and and people. You know, those names they recognize throughout the organization. You know they they notice when they go missing. I think and uh, and just having those having those guys around. You know you kind of uh, preemptively stops griping about them not being around. Where's Pat Henkin? Why isn't Why isn't Henkin with them? Like nobody knows what the hell he does. Pat Henkin's cool. Like he's a smart guy. I've talked to Pat Henkin, but like nobody knows what he does. Like I I I don't know why anyone would be mad about like the. That not happen. You can get out in front of some gripes. Uh, you gotta do it if you can. I don't know how much that costs them, but you know, if it, you can avoid some gripes, it's worth doing. The last thing I want to note is just some of the prospect buzz. Uh, we're gonna see. You know, obviously this can go in various directions. Like Alec Manoa had a lot of buzz in the spring training where he burst through as a rookie and was incredible. You know, Relvis Martinez more recently he didn't really play a factor. Addison Barger is interesting because he's a name that was sort of like a deep cut Blue Jays fan name. And then suddenly he crops up on Fangraph's top 100 prospects at 53, which is, that's a pretty significant high level prospect. And I think the Tiedemann stuff we're hearing a lot of is kind of just the chorus of what we've already heard. Like a lot of people have very high hopes for this guy. He's clearly talented. Uh, he's not maybe as far from the majors as his, his minor league track record would suggest. 
Uh, for me, Barger is the interesting one just because, you know, second base is a place where they don't necessarily have a longer term answer unless you want to wade into the Boba Shet waters there, um, <laughs> which we don't have to do on our return. We can we can give over a nice big chunk of time to to that somewhere down the line. Uh, yeah, when he makes his first error. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Uh, I can pick. I can picture it now. Um, I don't know. I I do think that Barger's interesting popping up like that because that he was that guy that I kind of assumed that like maybe some Blue Jays fans would know, but wouldn't be uh, super well regarded in the industry. Just you know, not that much track record. Pretty high strikeout rates in the minors, which is disqualifying for some people. So that was interesting to me. Yeah, no, the Fangraphs thing, absolutely. I mean, uh, like Scott Mitchell at TSN does his his top 50 or whatever, or however many number uh, every year, which is always really good. Puts a lot of effort into into you know, doing, doing that list. And I think, he had him, I think he had him at like eighth or something like that. And it's like now like Fangraphs has him as the Jays number two. Uh, and not just in the top 100, but almost in the top 50. It's uh, uh, it's pretty aggressive. I know Fangraphs can be an outlier, I think, sometimes in terms of uh, in terms of these lists, which is which is. I think probably a positive, you know, you don't want, uh, you, you would, there's always going to be differing opinions in the scouting community. They shouldn't all, all these lists shouldn't look the same. Uh, but that one definitely sticks out, but, uh, you know, obviously, uh, is it long this that still does it? Yeah, whoever, so. whoever it is. Um, yeah. One of them moved to, uh, to ESPN, but I, I cannot, think it's I McDaniel. Remember. That moved Kylie, to Kylie McDaniel moved to, 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 to yeah, that's right. Still there. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't just love the bat speed said his bat speed stood out, uh, in the fall league, like among a bunch of other good hitters, which is, you know, pretty high praise because that's you know a lot of real really talented guys go to, end up going to the fall league, uh, and yeah, the guy just just kept hitting this year. You know, if you look at his numbers, it's like I think he, it was a small sample in Buffalo, but like those numbers were better than they were in, in New Hampshire, which were as good or better than they were in in Vancouver. Like he uh, he really came on. It was a real it was a it was a real breakout, and like you say, uh, I know they also they're having him. Uh, uh, play in the outfield a bit as well i think in spring which you know just to uh to give him some more paths to playing time and, and i think he's uh, he's a guy to zero in on i know people will talk about like Otto lopez uh a little bit because he's got some cups of coffee and he's been, he's kind of a talented guy but he's like you know for me a complete layman in terms of like scout he just feels like a tweener kind of guy like who's not, you know i think he's not going to play shortstop or center it's more like a, a second base left field which maybe partners as well but you think you get more out of the bat there uh, not to disparage Otto Lopez, but uh, I don't know if there's enough power there. But again, he's a complete layman here, uh, just looking at stats pages and reading what other people think. But uh, but so no, I think I think it's I think it's really interesting to to see him that high. And he is a guy I think people are going to want to watch this spring um, because you know first injury, I would not be surprised if he's the first call up. He's on the forty man now. Yeah, he he's got a lot of helium, just to use some scouting terms uh, right yeah, now. Yeah, there we go. Like, get, that, <laughs> uh, get our credibility up. No, I mean, if we really <laughs> want to talk prospects, we will we will go and find a guest uh, to talk prospects in depth. We've done that before. It's easier in this format for us to get guests, so uh, just putting it out there. Um, yeah, maybe true. we'll do that. Um, but yeah, he he's just yeah he's he's the the hot name to watch, especially because he'll presumably be at AAA. Uh, whereas with Tiedemann, you're you're probably going to worry about some kind of build up, and whereas his innings limit, like if Barger comes out in AAA and just mashes, you find a place for him on the team. Um, whereas with there, there's just more complications with Tiedemann, and then if you go further down the list and you're looking at yeah the Otto Lopez's of the world and some of the other guys uh, outside of maybe Z- Zuleta, 
Nate Pearson, if you want to think of him as a prospect, like there just aren't that many guys who are in the yeah prospect world that are potentially making an impact for the Blue Jays this year. Barger is no guarantee to do that, but he is sort of the one guy who has uh, the most obvious chance to do that without caveats. So that is interesting. Let's get out of here on a, we like to do some over-unders. I know that's more of the, you know, the at the letters guys thing. We don't want to steal it too much, but we will just do one to get out of here. Just a prediction for Blue Jays wins this season. It's interesting. There's a nice little discrepancy here. Fangraphs last I looked had the Blue Jays projected for 86.7 wins, which of course is Ooh. impossible, but you know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, every system has its flaws, but that's no, it's impossible. It's impossible because there's, there's no way they're, they're, they're that bad. And also, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's also 89 is another one. I don't know. They have multiple ones. They got projected standings and then they have uh, playoff odds. For some reason, there's a discrepancy there. Let's just call fan graphs in the high 80s somewhere. And then I looked at a couple of various sports books and they were sort of 92 and a half being the over under, which I think is a little bit uh, more realistic for the team. That's kind of where they've hovered around the last two years. Stoughton, how many g- games are the Toronto Blue Jays going to win in 2023? Uh, I will uh, I will say 95. I was gonna. I was thinking ninety six. I'm like that's too high. Ninety four, probably, probably correct. But I'll uh, I'll put my my homer hat on and, and give him an extra win. I don't think about. I don't think that's crazy. It's a, I, I bet I bet the under on that. Uh, but I probably but I bet the over on the the ninety two and a half as well. I'm gonna go. I'll go at just right at ninety two, like just at that under. I think it's you know it's a very similar quality team to what they put on the field the last couple of years, just sort of differently shaped. Uh, maybe better suited to playoff action. We'll see. I think they're likely to make the playoffs, but there, you know, there's the whole the Springer question. You know, Vlad and Bo have never been injured really over the last couple of years. That's something that could set them back. Uh, if that happened, a lot of question marks in the bullpen. I think this is a really good team, but it's been a really good team the last couple of years as well. I think it's kind of in the same class as it's been. Um, so yeah, we'll do it. Ninety-two. 95 i think that makes the blue jays happy hour official 93.5 um so that's above the sports book so everyone go bet your life savings on that um (laughs) we're gonna get out of here it's been a longer one but we had some stuff to catch up on that's just the way it's gonna go we have not established a schedule but i think we'll be able to build a more regular schedule for you guys this year which will hopefully be uh easier for you to follow us probably later in the week but we're still sorting some stuff out Uh, We appreciate you guys tuning back in, liking, uh, subscribing, whatever the things are you're supposed to do, giving us ratings. Tell all your friends that we're back and uh, we'll be with you all season.